0: Well, as we continue through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's in your New Testament. I got to tell you, we have a lot to cover this morning. We got to talk about Lion King, Veggie Tales, and hockey, and we got a lot to cover, okay? So I'm going to jump right into it. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here is how that begins. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. Let me pause for a second. Remember what's going on in Paul's relationship with this dumpster fire of a church, that they have written Paul a letter, and in that letter they asked him about several things. Now he is writing back, responding to those, and he triggers us that he's addressing another question they asked. So he's actually saying, now concerning your concern that you wrote to me about spiritual gifts. And then he will go on about this topic of spiritual gifts for three chapters. We're not going to cover three chapters this morning, okay? It's not, so that'll be the topic of coming weeks. We'll break it down a little bit. But that's what's going on, right? Now, he goes on, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore... I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all, in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to an, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. By the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Like I said, we have a lot to cover. So what he does here is he gives a list of spiritual gifts. Now know this, that list is not exhaustive. There are other places in the scripture where it gives lists of gifts and they don't match up. There's overlap, but it's not the same list. And so what scholars speculate is that there are as many gifts of the spirit as there are needs in the body. And this is a list of some of them. So what I'm not going to do is spend a lot of time uh, parsing and defining what these different gifts are because that's not the point of the passage. The passage doesn't define them. That's not what Paul is doing here. The emphasis here isn't to find your gift on the list. The emphasis, I tried to give it to you as I was reading the passage. Did you catch how often it said by the Spirit? It, you know, it's all about... And so the, the emphasis here is about the focus of the gifts, God himself, and the purpose of the gifts. And we'll talk about that. Now, these young Christians in Corinth were messing this up Royally, And so Paul's emphasis will be my emphasis, and that's what we'll get into this morning. However, <clears throat> to tackle this letter, we need to, as pastors, to wade into a modern theological debate that has various camps. And in each camp, there are variations in each camp. So it's a dangerous thing to paint with broad strokes, but for time, we kind of need to do that. So the, the debate is about charismatic gifts, or what is sometimes called sign gifts. And so what I intend to do this morning is to stir the pot and then go on sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So there it is. <clears throat> so a uh, big focus of the modern debate is, of course, the issue of tongues. So we got to talk about that. As I've studied the scripture, my understanding of what the Holy Spirit gift of tongues is, was, is this. It is the ability to speak in a known human language that is unknown to the speaker. Okay? So, if you look at how it was, the gift was given to the church at Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. And so, Jews would travel from around the world, from their different countries, and be in Jerusalem. So when the Holy Spirit first came upon the church, flames of fire on their head, wild stuff, and the the Christians in Jerusalem start speaking to the crowd. Remember, they're from different countries in these foreign languages that they spoke and understood, but the Christians didn't know how to speak them. Now they're hearing the gospel in their own language. That is the gift of tongues. That is very fruitful. So when I start speaking in a language that the crowd around me doesn't understand, doesn't know. Paul will call that unfruitful. Because it is, like nobody understands. What's the purpose of that is what he's going to say there. So what he does is he puts a strong preference on prophecy in contrast to tongues. So what is prophecy? So prophecy is speaking forth the truth from God, what God wants us to do. That is somewhat what I'm doing right now. As an English speaker, I'm speaking to an English audience in English, and I'm doing prophecy. So here's how uh, some who are in a different camp would take this. They would say, well, what if instead God says, okay, so Rick could right now preach in English to English speakers... I'm going to guess for the moment that there's no one in the room who speaks Mandarin, that Chinese language. Let's work with that. So what if God goes, hey, how about this? Let's have some fun. Let's overcome Rick by the Holy Spirit and make him start speaking to this crowd in Mandarin. And nobody understands, but that's okay. Because then I'll also overcome another individual and give them the gift to interpret Mandarin. So instead of preaching in English to an English crowd, Rick will preach in Mandarin, and they'll translate Mandarin back to English, so we get to play a holy telephone game. How is that helpful? When he could just do prophecy in English to English. You see the problem there? So <clears throat> that is uh, what, what is uh, the idea there. Now, what if, by contrast, what if I encounter after the service a whole crowd of Chinese people and all they speak is English, they don't speak They only speak Mandarin, they don't speak English, and I start preaching to them the gospel in Mandarin, even though I can't speak a lick. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's fruitful, that's fruitful. And that is the biblical gift of tongues. Now, not everybody agrees with me on that. So the other camp would be a Pentecostal or charismatic, if you're familiar with those terms. They basically mean the same theology. Again, there's variations in every camp. By and large, they hold the same theology. The only difference is where you go to church. Pentecostals go to Pentecostal churches. Charismatic hold the same theology, but go to other churches, including ours. And we got to note, we have charismatic brothers and sisters who are part of our family, call this place home. We love them and they're welcome, even though we might disagree on this part. Uh, They are relatively modern camps. Pentecostalism is uh, about 100 years old. uh, And Charismatics, even younger, they come from the mid-1900s. So they they haven't been around all that long when you consider the breadth and the length of Christian history. So what do they believe? Uh, This is a little bit dangerous because I'm not in their camp and I have to uh, draw a caricature of them to help you catch it. But I also realize for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Like you've never encountered this. And you're like, what is this about? Okay, so w- what they would believe is that tongues, instead of what I described, is a, a gibberish. I don't mean to be pejorative. I just want to help you who don't understand it catch it. It's like a gibberish kind of prayer language, not understood by anyone around you, including the person speaking in that gibberish language. So you don't understand what you're, you're saying, but the idea is that God speaks... Uh, through the Holy Spirit, through my mouth to God. So God is speaking to God, uh, using my lips in a gibberish language that I don't even understand. That's the idea. And I hope, I I mean, I don't want to be uncharitable at the same time. I hope you can see, well, that's a little weird. Uh, I don't don't know how that is fruitful. Uh, Here are some other things that uh, are believed in that camp. Uh, again, I am talking about an intramural debate within the family of Christ, okay? So these are our brothers and sisters. But they uh, believe that all Christians should display the gift of tongues, okay? So all Christians should speak in tongues as they define it. They believe in a second experience of the Holy Spirit. Meaning at one point in your Christian journey, you come to saving faith in Jesus as your your savior. Later on, you get baptized in the spirit, slain in the spirit, you receive the spirit. And at that point, you start speaking in tongues. That's how we know you got the Holy Spirit. So that is one of their uh, beliefs. So because of that, then there is a lot of pressure in that camp. Speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. We need you to because otherwise you're not real. You're not mature. You don't have the Holy Spirit. Again, uh, I am probably speaking about some people in this room who are my family in Christ. We love them. We welcome them. They're, they're part of us and that is okay. We, just, we would disagree on this, okay? Now, Uh, You can tell I'm just trying to step on the gas and get through that as (laughs) quick as I can. Like, uh, this is a much broader issue than I have time to unpack right now. We'll get to other things in the coming chapters. But uh, I did three Ask Pastor Rick videos about this area. And so you can watch those as well and we'll fill in some of the blanks. Okay. Now I just want to move on and say, listen, it at least seems like the church in Corinth, ancient church long ago, was charismatic. And so Paul is writing to them a very corrective letter. The whole letter has been corrective, right? And and no exception, in this case, he's writing to correct them because evidently they were making an idol out of the gifts in general, specifically out of the gift of tongues. So they're not using spiritual gifts to glorify God and edify the church and proclaim the gospel. Instead, they're using these gifts, particularly tongues, to be selfish and to be arrogant and to compare and to do competition. And it's, it's getting gross. And so Paul will need to correct them and set boundaries. That's what the next three chapters are. Now, uh, before getting into some of the correction toward charismatic Christians, uh, I want to first start with some correction here towards the frozen chosen. And what I mean by that is there tends to be two equal but opposite heirs here. So we'll talk in a bit about the heirs of charismatics. But a lot of Christians say, no, I don't want to be that. Don't want to be that. And so what they do is they run right through middle to the other extreme over here and are the frozen chosen. And Paul will be correcting them as well. He'll correct both. In fact, look at the beginning of the passage. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute Idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is kind of weird. Like, Okay, what's going on there? Is this like some sort of freaky Christian detector test? Right? Like, like if I can... Like, think about it. Can a non-Christian physically say the words, Jesus is Lord? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, right? I mean, we've got tons of people who are in the religion of Christianity and think that, but they're not really in Christ, and that happens. I mean, imagine otherwise what we would do is for membership at Redemption Chapel, we go, okay, first, first, say Jesus is Lord. <laughs> oh, you did it. Okay, you're in. You're a Christian. No, that's, that's not what's going on here, right? So what is the point? The point is this. We, he's saying, listen, you, you came out of pay. He's telling me these Corinthian Christians. You came out of paganism. And you got to know, as pagans, you served a mute idol, a dead idol. But now you converted to Christianity, and you have not a mute... You have the one true living God. And He speaks. And He inspires speech. And He changes our lives. And so quit acting like you have a dead, mute idol. That's not it. That's not it. Now, to the credit of our charismatic brothers and sisters. God bless them for this. I mean, they serve a living and active God. They serve a speaking God. They are not satisfied with dead, dull, dry, dusty formalism. God bless them for that. That That's so spot on. They do expressive worship. They are emotionally engaged with God, and that is awesome. About the Frozen Chosen. Uh, the frozen chosen act as if we still serve some dead, mute, pagan idol. A, a dead, inactive God who's lifeless, a lifeless religious experience. And uh, right now, I got to tell you, <laughs> I might, might be describing you because uh, it's likely that we have more frozen chosen in our congregation than charismatics. So God's word might be speaking to you right now. If you have a distant, Uninvolved God, if you have a cerebral faith that doesn't stir your heart and come out in emotion, what you have is something more akin to a a religion called deism than biblical Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. Are you stiff and fairly expressionless during worship? You might be avoiding the errors of charismatics uh, but you might maybe ran to the other extreme and there's correction for you too. There's growth for you too and as I say that I understand that some of you in this room won't like what I just said some of you will be upset by that some people might leave but I just have to tell you this if you are resisting the move of the Holy Spirit in your life to express yourself in worship to God then you are resisting the Holy Spirit and even though it might make you uncomfortable it is my job as a pastor to make you uncomfortable we just can't be those people we can't be the frozen chosen. It's not biblical. So there's correction there, okay? Uh, but, yes, there is correction for charismatics as well. So to get into that, I want to talk through some big picture stuff in the letter of 1 Corinthians and really the whole Bible. So big picture stuff. Number one, this letter is corrective, not encouraging. Just know that, right? So they're charismatic and he's writing them to correct them. He's giving them boundaries, which most Pentecostals wildly ignore. Uh, He's correcting their motivations. Now, the the crazy thing is that a lot of charismatic Christians then will go to this letter and draw from it, not to correct their practice of Christianity, but to affirm their practice. But it's a letter of correction. Let me help you understand this way. Uh, Did you ever get in trouble at school and they wrote a note home to your parents. You know, that might be old school. Maybe that practice isn't done anymore. But they sent a note home, and you had to take it home and get mom or dad to sign it, so you probably forged. (laughs) Say, right, Um, no went home. Maybe the note said, uh, talks too much during class, distracting, stop it. So in this case, it's as if you get home to mom and dad and the three of you look at the letter and you go, oh, look, this letter is a lot about talking in class. You should probably do that more. No, 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 no. That letter's a correction to that practice. And when you come into 1 Corinthians, it is a correction. And so what a lot of charismatics do is they look at the letter and go, oh, maybe we should do it more. That's a swing and a miss, all right? So, uh, number one, this letter is corrective, not encouraging. And number two, uh, that's all you got. <laughs> so, so, for like New Testament letters, that's it. Letters or epistles, those are the ones where God led the apostles to write to the church about how to do church, how to do Christianity. And, and, and what's surprising is, if this stuff, if, sp- if every Christian sp- should speak in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit, if that's the case then we would expect that big important truth to be uh, evidence all throughout the New Testament. Not only in 1 Corinthians, which is actually correcting it. Y- you see that? Now granted, uh, there it does speak about tongues in the book of Acts. Acts is a book of history. Good biblical interpretation says you don't build your theology on books of history. And the reason why is because history is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what happened, not prescribes what should happen. Because there's a lot in Acts we go, yeah, we shouldn't do that. Right? It's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, another thing is, so uh, our Lord Jesus never spoke in tongues. Says over and over he was full of the Holy Spirit. Never spoke in tongues. As well, you know who else didn't speak in tongues? These guys. I'm just saying, there's no vegetables video about tongues that's a ridiculous point but i give it to you anyway okay there it is right so listen my again the point is that in the new testament first corinthians is it as far as the letters go third point weird does not equal more spiritual okay remember they're coming out of pagan idolatry and though the idols were mute and dead the practice of the religion was not And so when you think of pagan spirituality, think of that like wild, weird, eccentric, uh, spiritual leader who does supernatural stuff, right? Like Rafiki. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. (laughs) (laughs) He's alive. And I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki. He knows the way. Come on. All right. So you're coming out of some pagan background religion where to be spiritual means to be weird and, and, and do wild things like that. Now you convert to Christianity and you come in saying, are we spiritual? according to the old definition, right? And so, so you're saying, hey, are we going to... Like, I want to make sure we're spiritual. I want to be super spiritual. So you're looking for weird. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Don't let your pagan spirituality define Christianity. Okay? Weird does not equal more spiritual. Nor does flashy equal more spiritual. Nope. See, what's going on is they desire to have these flashy, noticeable, upfront kind of gifts. Here's an interesting thing. It seems like nobody has the spiritual gift of emptying the trash cans. Have you noticed this? Not only at home, but at church, right? And yet, the trash cans need emptied. So, uh, on the property right now, the most spiritual person might right now be cutting donuts in the kitchen, not giving a sermon in the pulpit. Spiritual gifts doesn't equal more spiritual. Flashy does not equal more spiritual. And one of the things that happens sometimes in Christianity is we say, Well, that's not my gift. And what we mean by that is I don't want to help out. <laughs> so I got this trump card that I can throw on the table and say, not my gift and I can avoid helping out. But flashy does not mean more spiritual. So then what is it? Well, character, growth, love. That means more spiritual. See, we live in the age of the Holy Spirit right now. Remember, we went through the Creed series. We talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And as we study the Holy Spirit, who is all about the scriptures, like, Especially in the New Testament, it doesn't talk that much about spiritual gifts. What it talks about is the Holy Spirit indwells us, fills us, changes us, grows us, convicts us, disciplines us when needed, shapes us, gives us fellowship, gives us direction, gives us empowerment for service. This is what it means to be spiritual. And so, listen, the mark of the Holy Spirit is not some specific spiritual gift. What is the mark of the Holy Spirit? You go to Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, it says there, the fruit of the Spirit is tongues. Yeah. No, it doesn't say that. Love, joy, peace, patience. It goes on and on with character stuff. The first of which is love. And interestingly, when Paul is writing about spiritual gifts, he gives three chapters. The middle chapter is all about 1 Corinthians 13. Love. Love. It's all about love. You want to be spiritual? Good. Please be spiritual. Grow in character. Love. Humbly walk with Jesus. Discover who he's made you to be and then leverage that not for yourself but for the kingdom of God to glorify Jesus. Or, or plan B. You could obsess over spiritual gifts. Flaunt it. Be prideful. Cause problems within the family of Christ. Yay. Yippee. Do not confuse spiritual maturity and spiritual gifts, right? Now, those are some big picture things. What I want to do next is I want to get back into our specific passage and say, what does Paul tell them? And so here's our passage again, part of it at least. And if you look at that, one of the things he, Paul says there is that the gifts should lead to unity, not to Disunity. Right? I emphasized over and over the emphasis in the passage, which is repeated it's by the Spirit. The focus of the gifts is not you or your gift, it's the Spirit. And if you look in this passage here, he says uh, it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. It's actually Trinitarian language. When the Holy Spirit moved Paul to record scriptures. Paul's practice was when he said, Lord, he's referring to Jesus. When he says, God, he's referring to the Father. The point is, this is about God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. The gifts come from that God, and the emphasis is, check this, listen. The emphasis is not on a particular gift. The emphasis is on a particular God. Over and over, over and over, over and over. And if your practices of the gifts is causing disunity and disharmony and hurting the church, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. All right, second thing that I want to pull out of the passage here. uh, Go to the second half here. Uh, What you see is that each individual Christian is uniquely gifted. It's quite clear from the passage. There's no one gift that everyone should have. The point is the opposite, that you don't have the same gifts. That's quite clear from verses 8 to 10. And so the point is this, be you. You do you. Listen, you understand, God could have had this universe without you. He didn't have to make you. But when he thought up what he's going to, he thought, you know what? I want you in it. He intentionally chose you, specifically you, uniquely you, and put you in the universe. And then, when you became a Christian and dwelt by the Spirit, He gave you a gift. He intentionally chose to give you a gift. Now, that gift, you don't seek it, it seeks you. You might have several gifts, and it might change over time. Not getting into it, right? But, God uniquely chose you and gifted you, and He wants you to be you. So Shannon and I are reading a book recently. Uh, Can't endorse it yet. We haven't finished it. But uh, came across a great quote from a rabbi, Rabbi Zuzia. Because he's a rabbi, he feels like compared to Moses, like everybody's looking at him, you should be more like Moses. And here's his response. In the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zuzia? Think about that. Man, sometimes I wonder, would my congregation be better served if I were more like Tim Keller? What if I were more like Matt Chandler? Whoever your famous celebrity pastor is. In the coming world, they're not going to ask me, why weren't you more like Chandler? And they'll say, why were you not more like Rick McKee? God made you Rick McKee. You're supposed to be Rick McKee. Not you, me. You get that. you, But you do you, right? Like You got to do you. God shows you. He filled you. He's gifted you. He expects you to be you. It's great news. Great news. And then thirdly, your gift isn't for you. If you look at the the top of that paragraph there, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not for you. Your gift isn't for you. It's for the common good. And so the gifts of the Spirit, as we study the Scriptures, are given for three reasons. It's the glorification of God, the edification of the church, and the proclamation of the gospel. That's why the gifts are given. It ain't for you. It's not for you. So we get off track when we start to make the gifts about us and I'm going to be better than, and I'm going to be super spiritual. I'm going to compare myself to you. It's for my benefit. And to be honest, I fear sometimes Pentecostalism ends up there. Tongues are a gift given to you for you. Not what it says. Not verse 7. By the way, this is way bigger than any modern debate about tongues. And I want to make sure that God has something in this for all of us. Listen, Has God, if you're a Christian, according to this passage, has God gifted you? Yes, he has. Absolutely, he has. So the next question is this. Are you employing your life and your gifts for the common good? That's the question. So uh, when you think about going to community group, let's be honest. We think, man, do I or do I not want to go to community group? Because how will it be for my good? Feel it? What if? What if God's gifted you and he's got a gift in you that he wants a community group for the common good? Oh, you'll be blessed too, but he gave you something he expects to be in play. How do you serve your church? Like what if God has gifted you and he expects that gift to be in play for the common good? So thinking about that uh, reminded me of the movie Miracle. It's an older movie. In fact, you see that? So this is the cover to it. You see at the top where it says widescreen? That's how you know it's old, right? (laughs) That was was only an option back then, right? Anyway, so miracle, great, great. It came out in 2004, but it's really about the 1980 Olympics, uh, specifically the U.S. hockey team. What happened at the time is the Soviet Union, they were way dominant in the sport. Okay? U.S., we had not beaten them in 20 years, not since 1960. And the Soviets had taken gold in the previous four Olympics. They kept the same team together. They played together. They dominated together. And unfortunately, in the U.S. at the time, like we couldn't match them because that was the era where you couldn't play if you were pro right? That changed later. But back then, if they went into the NHL, so you had to form the team from rookies just out of college. So Coach Herb Brooks steps up to uh, go ahead and coach the 1980 U.S. hockey team. And when he did, he would have them introduce themselves, uh, maybe stop practice and come together and would introduce. And so a guy would give his name and his hometown, and then Coach Brooks would look at him and say, who do you play for? And the guy would, of course, say the college he just came out of. I, I played for whatever college. Uh, Brooks then selected his team fairly quickly. It was really wild how quickly he put his list of his team together so fast that the committee over him didn't like it. They were like, no bueno, man. Like, and partly because one of the things coach did is he passed over the most gifted. See the word there? The most gifted players he passed over. The most talented players. And he chose these other guys and the committee's like, what are you doing? And he answered them. Great quote. He said, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. What's that mean? Well, you get a little bit of a sniff of what that means. Uh, So the team, during its training, went to do an exhibition match against uh, the Norwegian national team. And they tied. Now, coach knows that (laughs) if you tie the Norwegian national team, when it's Olympics, you're going to get destroyed. Not good. And so uh, instead of leaving them after the game, like towards the end, coach looks at his assistant coach and says, get a whistle. Because during the game, the only people that need a whistle are the referees, right? Uh, but he says, get a whistle, which means players aren't leaving the ice. And indeed... Kept them out on the ice. So they're dead dog tired from playing a game. He puts them on a line and he has them skate sprints. He said, you didn't want to work during the game? You'll work now. They, they do this spr- sprints called Herbie's, <laughs> named after him. And, and they run a sprint and they stop. And then uh, he yells at them for a little bit. And then they do skate a sprint and stop. And he yells at them, goes over this, over and over. One of those little motivational speeches is a famous line. And here's what he said. When you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And the name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the one on the back. Yeah, some of you are sensitive, so I had to edit that a little bit. But don't miss it. The name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the name on the back. What's on the front? USA. What's on the back? Your specific name. McKee. Whatever it is, right? And then he says, get that through your head. And he calls out again. Assistant coach blows the whistle and they do a sprint. That's what he would call out again. The assistant coach would blow the whistle and they do a sprint. And he did it over and over till they were ground into the ice. They were puking from it. They knew if they left the ice they were off the team, so they kept at it. He yells again, so sadistic, so bad, that the assistant coach won't even blow the whistle. And at that moment, one of the players on the team gets it. And he reintroduces himself. And he yells out, gasping. He's just panting for breath. But he calls out, Mike, Eurozone, Winthrop, Massachusetts. Coach thinks, uh oh, somebody might have gotten it. So he looks him right in the eye. Says, Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America and coach says that's all gentlemen and walks off the ice that was the clarifying moment that is when they understood it and that set them on the course that they would do the the it's called the miracle on ice it's the biggest upset in sports history they beat the russians and took gold this team of rookies not even the most talented ones why because that quote and that quote is an echo of what paul is saying in 1 corinthians that the name on the front of the jersey that says Jesus, that says Jesus Church, Jesus Kingdom, that's way more important than my name and my gift. The name on the front of the jersey is a heck of a lot more important than the name on the back of the jersey. Get that through your head. Get it through your head. Let me give you an example so you can feel what I'm saying. Uh, Our church keeps growing, and if it keeps growing... We might have to add a third service. Now, a lot of you just got excited because you're thinking about parking right now, right? (laughs) Right? Seriously. I mean, better parking, more space in here, more service options, back of the jersey. How does this serve me? You got to understand something. You like the idea of adding a third service. Do you understand that in order to do that, we have to field an entire third wave of volunteers in the kids' zone? Donuts, coffee, doors, welcome centers, parking? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't feel gifted. Right? Because I just want to park in the back of the jersey, not front of the jersey. Feel that? Get that through your head. This is not just about tongues, people. This is about the front of the jersey. So whether you're charismatic or frozen chosen, I think God has plenty of challenge for us today from his word. And I want you to get it through your head. It's not about you. Your gift isn't about you. It is for God's glory, the edification of the church, and the proclamation of the gospel. It's the front of the jersey. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father thank you very much that you have kindly kindly woven us into your body and yet uh, you're so gracious in that because we, we, we get in and Lord we, we get a gift and we make it all about us charismatic or frozen chosen it's all about us and we repent of that now and we are so grateful for your Holy Spirit's presence in our life for you choosing us and making us and gifting us and Father would you start to train our hearts that we would care way more about the front of the jersey. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.